Well, good morning, Bethany. It's good to be here this morning. I'm, my name is Gerald Graham. I'm one of the elders here at the church. The children were a little bit more active this mo- uh, in the uh, second service than they were in the first service, so I trust that that might be reflected in their parents and you guys would be more active. Maybe I'll even get an amen. amen. All right, thank you. <laughs> thank you. Well, we've had a, a number of guest speakers over the past number of weeks as our church goes through this transition, and a number of the speakers that come here have letters after their last name. You ever notice that? Master of Div, you know, their Bible this or Bible that. I have no letters after my last name. So what are my qualifications? You're probably asking that question. One of them is that I'm a born-again follower of Jesus Christ. My second qualification comes from a homeless guy in Baltimore. Okay, I can tell you want to know more. A number of years ago, I was part of a youth conference in Baltimore, and we were assigned street evangelism and street witnessing one day, and I was uh, paired off with a a young lady from Canada, and she was young and I was old, and so I think she kind of looked to me to kind of break the ice, and I thought, man, this isn't something I've done before. I'm not really comfortable with this. Uh, I I don't know what I'm going to say, and I was a little bit uptight, and uh, we got off of our bus and began to walk through what's the inner harbor area of Baltimore. And we didn't walk too far until a homeless guy that was laying on the bench hollered out, Hey, preacher man! So I walked over and said, Why do you think I'm a preacher man? I don't know. He said, You just look like one. (laughs) So that's my other qualification is I'm born again. My second qualification is a homeless guy in Baltimore thinks I look like a preacher. The title of our sermon today, we're continuing our study in the book of John, and I have a limited time this morning because of some of the other special things that we're doing, so we're not going to read the whole passage, and there'll just be a few uh, verses uh, that I'm going to highlight. But the title of the message is Like Father, Like Son. Now, these pictures are six generations of Grahams. The picture on the lower right-hand side, the gentleman to the far right, is my great-grandfather, George Graham. Now, he is a preacher, by the way, so maybe a little bit of that rubbed off. I don't know. Next to him is his son, Warren Graham, who is my grandfather. The next guy is my father, Norman Graham, who typically attends here. He's having some health issues right now, so he's not here today. And the little baby is me. Oh, okay, thank you. (laughs) I heard somebody say he used to be cute. Um, then the picture on, the, on your left is a little bit more difficult maybe to see, and that was taken quite a number of years later. And the gentleman on the right there, again, is my grandfather, Warren. The next one is my dad, and I don't know how clear the picture is, but he has pretty long hair and sideburns, and he used to ride a motorcycle, so I don't know, maybe this was the, his biker dude look. And this is me kneeling down in the front there, and I actually had hair back then, and I had some long hair back then. I actually had most of my ears covered. And I'm holding my son, Matt. And then the uh, top picture back on the top right-hand side, that is my uh, son, Matt. Again, that picture was only taken a couple of months ago. And next to him is my grandson, Evan, and then obviously me uh, beside him. Now, all of this group of people are all fathers and sons, except for my grandson, Evan, who is not yet a father. So we're all members of the same family. But I ask you the question, are we all exactly alike? We might have some similar characteristics, but are we the same? 
Do we have the same abilities? Do we have the same personalities? Of course not. We may be similar, but we're not exactly alike. Now let's go before the Lord in prayer before we uh, open up the uh, Scripture portion of our message. Father, we do indeed come into your presence this morning. We thank you that we celebrate your resurrection, that you truly are King of kings and Lord of lords. We just pray, Lord, that you would anoint our time here together with your Spirit. We pray that your Holy Spirit would be active here and speak to the hearts of people. We pray, Lord, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart would be acceptable in your sight. Lord, we want to just remember Steve Lever and his family today as they are going through some medical difficulties with his father, and Lord, it would appear that you may be preparing to call him home. And so we ask, Lord, that you would just be with the family. We pray that you would work out all of the travel details and all the things that need to take place. And we pray that they would just sense your presence today. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So our passage today is John chapter 5, verses 19 through 30, and that's found on page 885 in the Pew Bibles. Now, as I said earlier, I'm only going to highlight a few verses from this passage. This is an explanation by Jesus of the relationship between he and God. And Jesus and God's relationship was not a typical father and son relationship. You see, Jesus and God were not just similar. Jesus did not just have some of God's characteristics. Jesus was and is God's son, and he is fully and completely God. Now, at the end of the last Sunday's uh, scripture section in verses uh, 16 through 18 of of John chapter 5, Jesus makes some statements that gets him into trouble, and then he begins to elaborate on those statements in, in today's passage. If you look at verse 17, Jesus said to them, the crowd that was gathered there, my father is always at his work. And verse 18 says, now listen, he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. All right, Jesus got in trouble right here. I should add that I'm reading out of the NIV and you're using the New Living Translation, so what I read may be a little bit different uh, from what you're seeing. So Jesus got himself in trouble here. So he uses today's passage, and today's passage are the words of Jesus. If you have a red letter Bible, the, the words are written in red. So Jesus is beginning to explain this idea that he and God the Father are one. So we know Jesus as King of kings and Lord of lords, and today's passage emphasizes that, but it also shows Jesus in humble submission to God his Father. So I want to begin by just highlighting uh, verse 19. Jesus gave them this answer. I tell you the truth. The Son can do nothing by himself. He can do only what he sees his Father doing, because whatever the Father does, the Son does also. Now Jesus begins this verse by saying, I tell you the truth. And he also says the same thing in verses 24 and 25. Some translations use the word truly, truly. Now, you may ask yourself the question, why does Jesus say this? Doesn't it strike you as a little bit unusual that Jesus says, I tell you the truth? Doesn't Jesus always tell the truth? 
it's impossible for him to lie. I believe that Jesus uses this at this point for some emphasis. He's saying, listen up. I'm going to reveal something important to you. I'm going to tell you something about myself that you need to know. So we begin to see some of the characteristics now that Jesus have, has as, as this uh, passage unfolds. Verse 22, Moreover, the Father judges no one, but has entrusted all judgment to the Son. Now this gives us one of the qualifications of Jesus, that Jesus judges. He's given this job of judging by God himself. Well, you might say, well, who does he judge? Well, he judges you and I. The Bible tells us in 2 Corinthians 5.10 that we must all stand before Christ to be judged. We will each receive whatever we deserve for the good or the evil that we have done in this earthly body. Some older translations say we must all stand before the judgment seat of Christ. Now let me ask you a question this morning. Is that frightening to you? Does that kind of scare you? It doesn't need to be frightening. We can stand before Jesus in complete confidence if we've received him for forgiveness of sins and that we recognize him as Lord and Savior. Now, if you've never repented, if you've never given your heart to Jesus, the judgment will be a fearful time for you. Let's move to, on to verse 23. That all may honor the Son just as they honor the Father. He who does not honor the Son does not honor the Father who sent him. Now here again, Jesus is telling the crowd of people that's listening, and he's telling you and I that we need to honor him. What, is it, what does he mean by that? He means that we, the character traits, the honor that we give to God, we must give to Jesus and honor him as God also. I believe that most of the world has some kind of belief in God or belief in a God, small g, but they don't offer the same respect and worship to Christ. But why do you suppose that is? Why are they okay with God, but this Jesus guy who says he's the only way to God, well, that's not inclusive enough for our culture, and people don't give him the worship that he deserves. In reading that verse, it reminded me of a, a, a story I read uh, a number of years ago, written, uh, a booklet written by Joseph Stoll. Joseph Stoll, at, that, at the time of writing the booklet, was president of Moody Bible Institute, and he wrote a little booklet called The Trouble with Jesus. And in the book, he talked about a Chicago leadership prayer breakfast that he attended. And this breakfast was attended by many dignitaries, many pastors, pastors and preachers of all kinds of religions. There was uh, a Muslim imam, there was priests, there was all kinds of people there offering prayers to God. And as this was unfolding, Joseph Stoll writes this comment in his book. I kept waiting to hear it, but Jesus' name was not mentioned once. Now remember, this was a prayer breakfast. No one said he wasn't welcome, but the message was clear. All our gods are to be equal. And when that is the agenda, the authentic Jesus is trouble. It's difficult to include one who has claimed to be the only way to God when a diversity of paths to God is being celebrated. This passage today gives us the idea and tells us that we need to praise and honor and worship Jesus because 
He is not only our Savior, but he is in all ways God. So the same honor and glory and respect that we offer to God needs to be offered to Jesus. I'm going to highlight verse 24 in a little while. I'm going to come back to it. Uh, Right now I'm going to move to verses 26 and 27. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son to have life in himself. And he has given him authority to judge because he is the Son of Man. Now this verse elaborates a little bit more on our discussion from verse 23. These verses continue to emphasize the God qualities fully embodied in Jesus himself. The test of any major religion is to ask the question, what do you do with Jesus? And that's the question we all must ask. You must ask yourself that this morning. What are you personally doing with Jesus? Jesus is not just some good teacher. He's not just a prophet. He's not just a good moral leader. While he is all these things, he is so much more. He demands that we follow him and look to him alone for salvation. C.S. Lewis elaborates on that very dramatically in some of his writings. He says, I'm here to prevent anyone from saying the really foolish things that people often say about him. People say, I'm ready to accept Jesus as a great moral teacher, but I don't accept his claim to be God. That is the one thing we must not say. A man who was merely a man and said the sort of things Jesus said would not be a great moral teacher. He would rather be a lunatic. You must make your choice. Either this man, Jesus, was and is the Son of God, or else he is a madman. You can shut him up for a fool, or you can fall at his feet and call him Lord and God. Now, continuing that discussion and that idea of Jesus being given the job of judgment, let's look at verse 30. Verse 30 says, by myself, I can do nothing. I judge only as I hear, and my judgment is just. For I seek not to please myself, but him who sent me. Now, what does it mean when Jesus says, my judgment is just? Some translations say, my judgment is righteous. We've already seen in some of the earlier verses that Jesus was given this authority to judge. Now he's telling us that his judgment is just, which means that Jesus makes no mistakes in his judgment. He is perfect, right, and just. When we stand before him someday, he's going to have all the facts. There'll be no excuse that we can give on our part to try to convince Jesus otherwise, because he knows that he'll know the truth, and he'll know how to judge us perfectly. Well, we might try to come up with some some excuses, but no excuses will hold up in eternity. None of our excuses will change his judgment. Today is the day of salvation. Now is the time to trust Christ. At the judgment, it's too late. It's too late to make the decision that you should make now. If you want to hear Jesus' words, well done, thou good and faithful servant, that decision must be made now while there is yet time. Now back to uh, verse 24. Jesus says, I tell you the truth, whoever hears my word... And believes him who has sent me has eternal life and will not be condemned. He has crossed over from death to life. 
Now here again, Jesus uses this statement, I tell you the truth. And remember what that means. Jesus is telling us, listen up. I'm going to say something important here. Jesus is giving us some clues in this verse as how to, to how one becomes a child of God. We've been emphasizing the importance of that, that all of us must make that personal decision, that all of us must decide to accept Christ for forgiveness of sins and become a child of God. So what does Jesus want us to know from this verse? Number one, he says, whoever hears my words. Now let's stop with that. Is that enough? Is it simply enough just to hear the words of Jesus? Hearing is not enough, it's whoever believes. And he goes on to say that uh, in this verse. Now, believes what? We might even need to elaborate on that a little bit. Can I just believe whatever I want to about Jesus? He was a good moral teacher, that's it. Can I believe whatever I want to about God? All of these things work together to believe what? Believe in the God who sent Jesus as our only means of salvation. That's what Jesus wants us to know. He's telling us that in this verse this morning. How does one become a child child of God? We hear his words, we believe, and we believe that he is the only way, the truth, and the life. So there there are key truths in this verse. Now, he goes on to tell us in this verse why it's important that we understand what it means to become a child of God. Why should we do this? Acts 4.12 tells us there is no other name under heaven given to men whereby we must be saved. And this verse goes on to list some benefits to becoming a child of God. Jesus lists three in this verse. One is we're given eternal life. Number two, we'll not be condemned. And number three, we're moved from eternal death and separation from God to eternal life in him. So Jesus lays out the plan of salvation right there in in verse 24 for us. You see, in the end, there are ultimately only two categories of people. We all look different, different races, different colors, different sizes, different shapes. But in the end, everyone can be put into one of two categories. Category number one is the spiritually dead who spend eternity separated from God in hell. Category number two is the spiritually alive who spend eternity with a glorious God in heaven. Which category do you find yourself in this morning? Have you crossed over from death unto life? I want to conclude by taking a look at a familiar parable in the New Testament, the parable of the rich young man. I'm going to read this passage from Mark 10, 17 to 22. As Jesus was starting out on his way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good? Jesus asked. Only God is truly good. But to answer your question, you must know the commandments. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal. You must not testify falsely. You must not cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give the money to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come follow me. At this, the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he had many possessions." 
Now, this passage is often used to teach about the deceitfulness of riches. But there's a couple of other things that I want us to find, uh, find out and, and see from this passage. We see that this young man did five right things in this, these verses that we just read. And he only did one thing wrong. Now, that's a pretty good law of averages. But that one wrong decision that he made had severe eternal consequences. Now, let's take a look at this. What did he do right? Number one, he went to the right place. He had some misunderstanding or maybe some some desire to understand more about Jesus, so he went to where Jesus was. He had questions about life and death issues, and so number two, he asked the right person. He asked Jesus for answers. Number three, he assumed the right position. He knelt in humility. The Bible tells us that. So he he recognized Jesus at least as a good uh, teacher, and so he knelt before him. The fourth thing that the man did right was he asked the right question. And this is a question we all should ask ourselves. How do I get eternal life? And number five, the fifth thing that he did right was he got the right answer. Jesus told him what he must do. Now, if we were to stop there, the story doesn't sound too bad. But we know from the verses that we just read that the guy walked away. With all this information, with all of the right things, he still made the wrong decision. That By that one wrong decision, he walked away from his only means of salvation. He walked away from Jesus. In a group of this size, I would guess that there is someone here this morning who has never made a decision to repent of their sins and trust in Christ. You came to the right place. Perhaps you've come to the right place many times, and yet you've still not made that decision. Don't leave here today without making the right decision. The rich young man made the wrong decision. He had all the right information, made the wrong decision. If you want to discuss what it means to be a follower of Jesus, I or any of the elders of this church would be more than glad to talk to you and to pray with you about making that decision. Children, here this morning, if you feel God tugging on your heart in some way, please talk to your parents about what it means to be a follower of Jesus. Jesus is alive. We celebrate that today. We celebrate that this Easter Sunday. We celebrate that every Sunday, really. That's why the early church got together on the first day of the week. But today, in a special way, we're caused to remember the death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, he calls you to follow him. Today, when you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Let's pray. Father, we come into your holy presence this morning, and we just saw from that video and that song that your arms are open wide. You're inviting people to come to you, and Lord, if there's anyone here this morning that hasn't made that decision in their life, we pray that today would be the day. Help them not to put it off any moment longer. Lord, we thank you for the celebration of Easter Sunday. We thank you that you are alive. Lord, all the other false gods of the world are dead, but you're alive. You're alive in in heaven forevermore, and you draw each one of us to yourself. So we pray, Lord, that you would help us 
if we are children of yours, to be truly thankful for what you have done and for forgiveness of sin. We just thank you for your presence here today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.